Hello and welcome to The Lancet Respiratory Medicine in Conversation With. It's June 2022 and I'm your host Ben Burwood. This month I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Moonblit from Sechenov University Moscow and Dale Needham from Johns Hopkins University, whose work on developing a core outcome set for post-COVID-19 condition in adults has just been published. Daniel, Dale, thank you so much for joining me. Firstly, Daniel, could you describe what long COVID is and how it was, how was it defined in your, in your work? Yeah, thank you, Ben. It's, it's actually a very interesting question because there are different terms which are used currently worldwide. And some of them have been developed by major agencies such as WHO, NICE, CDC and others. However, long COVID as a term has been created by a patient community. So this is a patient-generated term. And there's a lot of mess going on about the terminology. So for the sake of this process of the core outcome set development process, we try to be uh, as inclusive as we can. And we use both. And as you can see from the manuscript, we use both terms uh, interchangeably, long COVID and post COVID-19 condition. So why long COVID? Because it is the patient preferred terminology. So uh, people with lived experience prefer this term. And why post COVID-19 condition? It is because the term uh, has been created by the World Health Organization. So the WHO ran a Delphi process and developed this term. And uh, long COVID generally is understood by people who developed it, so by people with lived experience who developed it back in uh, around spring 2020 as signs, symptoms uh, and uh, consequences that continue to develop after acute COVID-19 for any period of time, it is generally multisystemic. Uh, it might present in relapsing remitting pattern and a progression or worsening over time with possibility of severe and life-threatening events even months or years after infection. That's what long COVID, how long COVID is normally understood by patient community. And the term post-COVID-19 condition was developed, as I said, by the WHO and formulated as the following. So it's uh, it occurs in individuals with a history of probable or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection, usually three months from the onset of COVID-19 with symptoms and that last for at least two months and cannot be explained by an alternative diagnosis. It is very evident that the terms are different in, in the meaning. However, we uh, were aiming to use both terms in the process just to ensure that any study worldwide that will be interested in investigating consequences of COVID-19 will use this same core outcome set. So that regardless of the exact definition that it used in this study, people will be using similar outcomes, which will allow later on comparability and uh, um, will improve our understanding of COVID consequences. And Dale, in the work you mentioned that until now there's been no consensus regarding what outcomes should be measured for people with long COVID. Can you elaborate on why this might be? Thanks for the question, Ben. This issue of heterogeneity and outcomes evaluated in long COVID is actually really common across all fields of healthcare research and clinical practice. There are likely many different reasons. Reasons can include things like each researcher having their own specific interests and areas of expertise that they really want to focus upon. Also with a new condition like long COVID, 
during the early stages, there's an awful lot of uh, exploratory research really aimed at understanding different potential aspects of the condition. In addition, since long COVID affects multiple body systems, there really must be uh, exploration of many different outcomes. Uh, of course, this heterogeneity can create many challenges, however, in advancing the field since essential aspects of long COVID may actually be omitted. So the purpose of the core outcome set, which was the focus of our project, is to use a rigorous process to provide recommendations for a feasible minimum set of outcomes that all research and clinical practice should include. Researchers and, and clinicians can and should evaluate additional outcomes, but a core outcome set provides the starting point, the minimum core set to help with consistency and comparability of assessments in long COVID. Can I just ask a quick follow-up question based off your two answers there? So do you envisage that this work is going to be, this is it? Or is it more, you've, you've now got the core set and as more people do more work in a couple of years time, as you know, as more work's been done, will the core, out, core outcome set expand? Will like another Delphi round be needed to expand the core outcomes? Th that's a great question. I think because long COVID is really in its infancy, I think all of us are, are very humble and, and do recognize that things may change over time. And in fact, the, the process may need to be done again. I think that we all recognize this is, is our best attempt at preliminary work in the field to try to get a more solid foundation. Thank you. So 11 outcomes are included in the core outcome set. What were these outcomes and why were they specifically selected? So these 11 outcomes were uh, fatigue or exhaustion, uh, which is probably the most prevalent symptom of uh, long COVID described in the literature. Pain, post-exertion symptoms, work, occupational and study changes, survival, which was added from um, um, uh, our discussions from the previous work of fellow colleagues who developed core outcomes set for COVID-19. Uh, and then functioning and sim uh, functioning symptoms and conditions for uh, cardiovascular, respiratory, nervous system, cognition, mental and physical uh, outcomes. These outcomes is a result of a consensus process. So this was an international consensus process in collaboration with the WHO under the um, ISARIC umbrella, which is a large organization, a large consortium which brings together epidemiologists, clinicians, researchers of long COVID, running studies worldwide, uh, COMET initiative, etc. And obviously people with lived experience. So the process involved over one and a half thousand people from um, all around the globe. And more than a half of these individuals that participated in the Delphi process were people with lived experience and family members of people with lived experience of long COVID. So this 11 outcomes is just an agreed minimum uh, of critical outcomes, as Dale mentioned, uh, answering your previous question. So uh, by no means, this means that uh, other outcomes cannot be used. They can be used. It's it just the a selection of those outcomes that each stakeholder group considered critical and uh, that we hope that this minimum of critical outcomes will be used around the world in every 
study in the field, but it does not preclude people, both researchers and clinicians, from studying other outcomes of their interest. So it just sets up the minimum. We've got these 11 outcomes. How were the 11 outcomes actually decided on? What was the process behind doing that? Sure. The the entire concept of core outcome sets is not new, as I alluded to. This has been done in many different areas within healthcare. And the Comet initiative, based in the UK, actually has guidelines for rigorous development of core outcome sets in healthcare. These guidelines were followed in our project, and the primary methodology includes a comprehensive review of the literature regarding outcomes that were evaluated in prior publications, followed by a two-round international Delphi consensus process, followed by an interactive online consensus meeting that reviewed the Delphi results and finalized the core outcome set. Importantly, for people who don't know, a Delphi process is a well-established methodology for getting consensus from a group of experts. And in our study, we had three major stakeholder groups, three areas uh, of expertise. The first, as Daniel alluded to, were people with lived experience of long COVID along with their caregivers. The second was health professionals and researchers who have their own personal lived experience with long COVID, quite a unique group. And then the third are healthcare professionals and researchers that have clinical or research expertise in long COVID. As Daniel said, there are more than 1,500 participants in, in this consensus project, and more than 50% of them were people with lived experience with long COVID or their caregivers, and even additional people were healthcare providers or researchers with their own lived experience. And these participants represented 71 countries from around the world. So if I can ask a quick question on the back of, again, both your answers there. You've both mentioned the inclusion of people with lived experience, both patients and then healthcare professionals with lived experience of long COVID. So why was it so important to include people with lived experience? So people with lived experience are playing a tremendously important role in the evolution of our understanding of long COVID. I think that there are well-organized groups of, of patients and patient researchers that are mobilizing to help everybody in the field understand what their experiences are like. And a, a big problem in the field of clinical research is that sometimes we focus on things that are only of interest to researchers and not of interest to, to patients and, and caregivers. You know, so, so getting that input directly from the people going through this is tremendously important to ensure that there's focus in, in the areas that everybody feels are essential to move the field forward. Thank you, Ian, for that. The core outcome set focused on adults. What special considerations are there for future core outcome sets for children and young people? Yes, thank you, Ben. It's a very good question. And we were considering developing a core outcome set for children and young people from the very beginning. We had to prioritize something because uh, mostly this project was done, at least the first phase was done voluntarily by people from different countries. And uh, with within the lack of resources, with teams being overstretched, 
Uh, and as you can see, it's quite a complex methodological process and involves a lot of different stakeholders from around the world. So we obviously acknowledge that uh, core outcome set, a separate core outcome set, for children and young people with long COVID merits consideration. And we discussed it with uh, our partners and collaborators, including the WHO. I, I should admit that children and young people were uh, in a way neglected throughout the time of pandemic, uh, predominantly because children have less severe COVID usually than uh, when compared with uh, adult population. And obviously the mortality rate and the ICU admission rate is much lower in this population. Uh, so we had to prioritize and knowing that there are much higher numbers of long COVID in adult uh, population, we had to start with adults. However, we the, the research later showed that uh, long COVID is prevalent in children, young people, as well as adults. And it is not just a problem related to severe COVID, but it can uh, develop even in asymptomatic individuals. Acknowledging this, we kicked off a process, a core outcome set development process in children and young people as well. This was done around Christmas 2021. This is an ongoing process. We are reaching, at the moment, we're reaching a phase when we'll be launching the Delphi to select the critical the outcomes that, that are critical, considered critical by all relevant stakeholders. And we hope to um, have some, at least some answers within the next few months. So obviously it is a different process, slightly different process, because there are some specifics pertinent to children and young people. And, and obviously it is very common for parents to uh, select on behalf of children. But we also consider involving teenagers in the process to make uh, the, the, the core outcome set development for long COVID children, young people more inclusive. But the process is ongoing and we really hope to uh, develop core outcome set for children and young people uh, relatively soon. Do you expect a similar core outcome set to the one for adults or will there be, would it be vastly different? Uh, well, I don't know, because as uh, Dale previously mentioned, clinicians and researchers may have very different views to people with lived experience and their families. My guess is that we may end up with, a, with, with some outcomes being similar in adult core outcome set and, and uh, pediatric, if I may call it this way, uh, core outcome set. Uh, however, I would not be surprised to see certain differences in the out in the final outcome selection. What do you hope the newly defined core outcome set will achieve? What are the next steps for defining how these outcomes should be measured? We hope that this new core outcome set for long COVID will achieve greater consistency in the outcomes that are evaluated in research, in clinical practice, in the area of long COVID. This kind of consistency is incredibly important as a foundation for advancing knowledge both efficiently and effectively because it allows greater comparability across studies and can help facilitate the synthesis of, of knowledge. In terms of next steps, our same group, again in collaboration with the World Health Organization, and the Comet Initiative with, with, uh, under the auspices of uh, ISRIC, among others, are using similar methods as our, our core outcome 
set paper that uh, that's being published to launch now a three-round international Delphi that's specifically focused on achieving consensus for recommended measurement instruments for each of the 11 outcomes in the core outcome set. More information about our core outcome work for long COVID uh, is available for people that want more information at the study website, which is www.pc-cos.org. And that, that may help people keep up to speed and to actually see some of our next steps. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, you can read more about Dale and Daniel's work online now at thelancet.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to The Lancet Respiratory Medicine in conversation with wherever you normally get your podcasts.